Good morning. I just want to start by saying I'm really thankful for our leaders uh, and their really diligent, hard work uh, to consider ways to stay open as a church while being safe. It's, it really is. While, while considering the consciences and desires of everybody that's here. And so that's a lot of hard work. Uh, pray for them. Pray for us as we do that. Um, it is a, it is a uh, treacherous task. Um, so please pray for us and pray for unity for our church and pray that none of these things would be a foothold for the evil one. He would love to get in and shake things up because that's kind of what he likes to do. So uh, glad for uh, just wisdom. We ask the Lord for wisdom and he gives and so we're continually doing that. So know that uh, if you have not taken a look at that, um, <clears throat> that email that uh, explains what we're doing and why we're doing it around COVID protocol stuff, make sure you take a look at it and pray over it. So um, also, uh, our far-flung family for this week is the, uh, the Perrys, who are in Tampa, Florida. We actually just did a podcast uh, with Justin Perry. So if you have uh, interest in what they're doing and want a, a little longer update on what's going on and how they got to where they are, if you're interested in church planting, uh, check that out. Uh, that is available there. So uh, go take a listen. So uh, welcome to Intermissions. Uh, Intermissions uh, is a thing that we do every year, and it's a way that we love and pray for and raise funds for uh, our cross-cultural missionaries, and we also use it as an opportunity to ask ourselves how we can enter into God's mission. And so uh, we do this every year. Uh, intermissions kind of got wrecked earlier this year, so we moved it uh, to August, so we're really glad to be able to do that. If you are fairly new to Northwake and have not had a chance to do intermissions yet, raise your hand real quick. Yeah, I got some people over here, some people over there, some people here. Great. Well, we are really excited about intermissions. If you talk to people at Northwake, they will tell you intermissions is one of the most fun, fantastic, and encouraging things that we get to do. And so, like I said, it's the way that we uh, pray for and encourage missions uh, going and sending within our church. And so we decided a while back that we would expand it a little bit and include church planting into intermissions. And so uh, intermissions is now kind of a two-weekend deal with some things in the middle. And so we're really, really excited about that. And so this morning, my objective uh, as the person who is tasked with uh, pressing church planning forward at North Wake, my objective this morning will be kind of to serve up the appetizer and the first course of intermissions. And I'm going to do that by answering the question, why do we plant churches? And I, and I don't mean that as a general question. I mean that as a specific question, more like, why do we at North Wake, why do we plant churches? And in addition, along the way, we'll address the question of how. How do we go about planting churches at North Wake? And I intend to do that by talking, or sorry, by taking a look at the book of Acts, specifically chapter 16, where we are introduced to the city of Philippi and we're introduced to Philippians, Philippian people. So we're going to get a two for this morning. Uh, so we'll continue to grow in our understanding of Paul's letter to the Philippians, which we're in normally on Sunday mornings right now. And uh, we'll also grow our hearts for God and his mission. So that's the goal this morning, is to, to do both of those things. So uh, as we get started, I'd, I'd like to first take a moment and define two terms so we, so we don't function without some clarity on these two terms. First is the term missions. Second is the term church planting. And generally, we take the word missions to mean 
The sending out of faithful followers of Jesus to nations and context where there's a need to share and clarify the gospel message. And many times this will mean engaging people who have never heard the message of Jesus before. In context where the one going will have to learn a new language and learn a new culture in order to share that message. And the goal of missions is to see people trust in Christ and to gather as new church families, then reach out to their own communities and then send out others to reach other communities and other nations. It's kind of a general way that we think about missions. Now, secondly, it's church planning. And church planning generally, uh, when we say that, we mean the sending out of faithful followers of Jesus locally or nationally, to share and clarify the gospel message. Most of the time, this will mean engaging people who speak the same language and have a similar cultural context as the one being sent out. And the goal, again, is to see people trust in Christ, to gather together as new church families that reach their own communities, and then send out others to reach other communities and other nations. So I'm sure you noticed some similarities in those two definitions. And the goal in both is the same, to see people trust Christ gathering into church families that go forth with the message of the gospel to all people everywhere. The dissimilarity in those is cultural context and previous engagement with the message of Jesus that people may or may not have in those settings. So those are the big differences. Now, I see these two as uh, two sides of the same coin. So... Uh, all missionaries uh, strive to see churches planted, and all church planters strive to see God's mission advanced. So you'll hear me use these terms somewhat interchangeably. And as we look at Acts chapter 16, the question could be asked, are we looking at church planting or are we looking at missions? And, and I would say the answer is yes. We're looking at both. We're taking a look in on missions and church planting kind of happening at the same time, kind of the middle of it right in the middle of that process. And so I'll be skipping a rock through Acts 16 this morning. I'll not be able to handle each part as I normally would prefer. Uh, but if you want a deeper dive into Acts chapter 16, the North Wake Church pod podcast, myself, Jen, and Carson, uh, we had a longer discussion on Acts chapter 16 and uh, to give a little background of what we are studying in the book of Philippians. So uh, again, uh, take a look over there, take a listen, and I uh, think you'll be encouraged. So as we dive into Acts 16, we should pray. So will you pray with me this morning? Father, we do ask of you this morning, by the power of the Spirit, that you would open our hearts to hear and receive your word this morning. We will do our part to open your word, and we ask that you would do your part, the, the, the thing that only you can do, in opening our hearts to receive your word this morning. May you empower us to hear it and live it out in the worthy name of Christ, we pray. So let's take a look in Acts chapter 16, if you'll turn there in your Bibles. Starting in verse 1, it says, Paul came to Derbe and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews that were, that were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. 
So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So in Acts chapter 16, Paul is revisiting some churches, existing churches, that he had helped to start in past work in the cities that he's going to. He's encouraging and teaching them. And then Paul meets this guy, Timothy. He wants to add him to his team. He sees that he's faithful, so he adds him on. And they keep going from city to city, strengthening the churches. And by God's grace, the churches we see are growing in numbers. And it's in these first handful of verses, uh, we some of the, see some of the hows of church planning uh, become clear for us. And so we see that God strengthens and grows his church through ordinary faithful Christians. And we also see that it's clear that he uses teams of people to do this. So ordinary Christians in teams is the normal way that God works in strengthening and planting churches. And so over the past 12 years, North Wake has planted and been part of planting many churches and uh, been a part of many church projects, church planting projects. And our goal has always been and always will be to partner with and send out teams of faithful disciples and then do our best to strengthen and encourage them. In some cases, those churches, they flourish for many years. Sometimes those churches, they flourish for a short amount of time. Sometimes those churches face unbelievable suffering and spiritual attack from our adversary. But in all of it, we see that God is faithful to his mission to reach people with the love of Christ. We see that over and over again, that God uses these church planning projects to get the love of God into people's lives. So if you were to ask, how we plant churches here at North Wake, I would say simply, we raise up and send out small teams of faithful disciples to establish new churches through introducing people to Jesus and then gather those people together to celebrate this immeasurable gift of salvation that we have, just like we did this morning, singing and celebrating together. Then we support and encourage those new gatherings, those new church families, through prayer financial investment, visitation, and sending other North Wakers to join in and help out. So some simple ways that you can be a part of church planning at North Wake is to pray faithfully for those churches we have planted or are partnering with. Now, many times on Sunday morning, you're going to hear them mention, but if you want a short list of those, you can go to northwake.com and on our uh, leadership, sorry, on, under the mission page, there's a drop down. You'll see all these churches there. But but just so you know, we, we partner with uh, Covenant Life Church in Tampa, uh, Restoration Church in Washington, D.C., Sublime Grace Bible Church, a Spanish-speaking church in uh, the D.C. area that was planted by Restoration Church, Exchange Church over in Rollsville, uh, Calvary Rockview, which is in Castle Rock, Colorado, Mosaic Church in Provo, Utah, Covenant Life Church in Richmond, Virginia. And so it is... God's grace that we get to be a part of all of these projects. And he's working in all of them. And so one of the ways that you can join in that work is that you can visit them. All of us like to take vacations, so a really simple thing you could do is take a vacation in D.C. and stop by and encourage the church there. You could drive up to Richmond one Sunday and strengthen the church there with your words and your presence. You could pop over to Rollsville and worship with the church there one Sunday morning. If you're traveling for work in Tampa, you could stay through for a Sunday service and pray for the pastors and elders there. Castle Rock is a suburb of Denver. There's direct flights from Raleigh to Denver that are pretty, pretty cheap. You could jump on a flight, fly out, fly out there, give them a high five, encourage them. Uh, if you're going out west next summer, right, 
plan some time to stop by the church plant out in Provo, Utah. They would, they would be so encouraged by you just being there, you just praying for them. So our presence and our prayers and our encouragement, these are simple ways that God sustains new churches. And it's our heart to continue to build a family of churches, not just church plants isolated, but a family of churches that support and encourage one another. And you are a major part of that support system. And a really simple way to do that is that you can invest in the people that are going out, much like we have our advocates for our missionaries. We are raising up mentors to partner with our church planting couples because we know when they hit the ground, it is really difficult. It's really isolating. And so one of the most valuable things that they can have is another couple that they know and love, and they know, love, and care for them. So when things get hard, when things go wrong, because things will get hard and things will go wrong, they have someone to call that they can be open and honest with, people that will pray for them, people that will visit them. And so even if you're at a stage in life where you really feel like that you can't move, you can't be a part of the going out, you can stay right here in Wake Forest and still be meaningfully connected with these church plants. You can be part of that team that's supporting and encouraging. We see over and over again that these church plants get attacked from the evil one. And the place that they get attacked at many times is right in the middle of those marriages. And so, man, what a blessing to have other people that love and care for them that can pray for them and, care and encourage them and support them in their work and in their marriage specifically. So, would you pray about doing that? Would you and your spouse be willing at some point this week to just take a couple of minutes and ask, is that something we should do? Look with me in verse 6 through 10. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, as they're going, Paul receives a vision. Uh, it may have been that he was sleeping. We're, real, we're not really sure. And in this vision, there's a man of Macedonia requesting their presence and help. So in the middle of facing all these, these hindrances, they get this clear direction. So through the years of, of sending people out, this is often a really big question that people have is, is how do I know where I should go? How do I, of all the places in the world, where should I go? And I think this passage gives us a helpful look at how Paul went about answering this same question. We see first that he was, he was clearly waiting on God's direction while still going and doing. So he's, he's about doing the work. He's, he's going forward, but he's still waiting on the Lord. We see twice that the Spirit is mentioned as forbidding or hindering their efforts. So, so the Spirit is involved in this process that he's, he's waiting. Second, his eyes are open spiritually to see what God is leading to him to do. Where is God leading? And he pays attention to this vision. So he's waiting. God gives a vision, and then he pays attention to the vision. He's waiting for God to speak. Third, the vision that he has, it highlights a specific need. And often, need is the driving factor for why we send people out and support work in certain places. The need is great, so we send in support. And then fourthly, this, this vision is of a real person, a man of Macedonia. 
I'm not sure how they knew where he was from. Maybe he had a, like a University of Macedonia sweatshirt on or he like had like a, like a Macedonian accent. I don't know. But either way, Paul was given a vision of a real person with a real culture who needs their help. And, and often, this seals the deal as we ask where. It's the people. The first time I went to Haiti in 2010, I fell in love with the people. Their language, their foods, their way of life. I went because of need. Need was the driving factor that got me there. But it was the people that really sealed the deal. And I'd been to dozens of countries and interacted with lots of cultures before this. But in God's kindness, he connected my heart with Haitian people. And, and I believe until I go into the ground, until my last day on this earth, I'll be connected with them. God has done this thing, and he, he does this so often with the people that go, that are sent out, that he connects their hearts with real people. So if you're a person, uh, if you're in, in a season uh, where you're not sure where to focus your efforts in your personal ministry, or, or you're asking the question, Lord, where would you have me go? Where would you send me? And if it feels like all the doors are, are closing in your face, uh, Paul experienced the same thing. And so let me encourage you. While you're walking forward faithfully, wait on God's direction. Wait on him. Expect him to do something. Keep your eyes open and look for where God is leading. Identify peoples that have needs, gospel needs. And as best you can, connect those real needs with real people. And so you, you may be hearing me right now, and you may be thinking, this has nothing to do with me because I'm never going to be a missionary, and I will never be a part of church planning. So warning number one, don't ever say what you're never going to do. Uh, you, you just don't know. But, but let me encourage you. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, he has given you personal ministry in which he desires you to reach people with the good news of Christ. We all have personal ministries. And he may not be calling you over to Macedonia, but he has real people with real needs for you to meet. Mechanics and doctors and soccer dads and teachers, barbers and barkeeps and baristas, your coworkers and your neighbors. And so wait on God's direction. Look for God's leading. Listen for the spiritual needs that people have. Make friends and be ready to speak when the door is open. This is the type of thing that God is doing among us. This is the way that God works through ordinary people like us. Look in verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, Come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So Paul and his companions, they set out. They travel over to Philippi, which is a major city in Macedonia. And once they're there, they hang for a few days. And then on the Sabbath, they go out of the city gates to a place 
that's known for prayer. Evidently, they did some research. They figured out where do people hang out and pray. That's where they go. And they find a gathering of women there, and they begin speaking to them and listening to their stories. And there's a lady there that at first glance, she seems to have it together. She has a good business. She prays with some ladies once a week. She does some religious stuff. But Paul knows something is missing. Jesus is not her king. Jesus is not her Lord. So he speaks to her. He invites her into the kingdom of Christ. And the Lord opens her heart to pay attention to the message of Christ. She and her family are baptized right there, right then. And they open their home and their lives to Paul and his companions. They become like family together. And our world is not, our world here is not all that different than Philippi. There are people just like Lydia who are on the margins of religious communities, who believe there is a God, they even pray to him, they just aren't really sure who he is or what he's done for them. In 2009, we sent two families to Washington, D.C. to plant a church inside the Beltway. This is one of the most affluent, influential, and educated areas of our nation. And they prayed God would use them to reach people like Lydia. And so they made friends with their neighbors. And they got jobs at coffee shops. And they met people in their community who were far from God but near to them. And, and one of these people was a lady named Lynn. She had a thriving business and a PhD, but she was without Christ. And so they, they got to know her. They built relationships with her. They shared the gospel with her. They shared the good news of Jesus with her. And she entrusted her life to Jesus. And she spent the last decade sharing Christ with those in her community and helping them grow as followers of Jesus. Currently, she and her husband are a part of a different church plant, a newer church plant, helping this church plant get off the ground. This is why we go, and this is why we send people out. This is why we plant churches. Because there are people like Lydia and Lynn in all the cities of this nation, in all the cities of the world, women who need to hear the good news of Christ's kingdom. People who need to take that leap from worshiper of God to faithful disciple of Christ. And God wants to use your words and my words to open hearts. So will you be faithful to speak? Will I be faithful to speak? When God calls us, will we be faithful to go out? Will we put our yes on the table to ask God to use us here in Wake Forest, in Youngsville, in Franklinton, in Richmond, in Provo, Utah, in Malaysia, in Haiti? Will we put our yes on the table and say, Lord, take me where you want me. Put me where you want me to be. Will we do that? And will we speak? Look in verse 16. And as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, 
They said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So, missions and church planning is not a cakewalk. It's not all go down to the river, tell people about Jesus, they line up for baptism, they get baptized, and then you go to lunch. No. Missions is, and and hear me clearly, missions and church planting is war. It is absolutely war. It's a spiritual war. It's a spiritual battle. Because there are spiritual beings that do not want the kingdom of Christ to encroach upon their territory. That's a real reality. You may not see it, but it's real. There are humans who don't want the goodness of the gospel to spoil their positions of power. And Paul and his team, they face this reality head on. First, they're harassed by a spirit that has taken residence in a slave girl. And for days, this spirit-animated girl follows them around, announcing their presence and purpose. And so while what she's saying is true, it's, it's not very helpful. So imagine if you showed up to work at a new job, uh, first day there, and uh, the guy that everybody really doesn't like all that much kind of follows you around and is like, hey, this new guy, he's really awesome. He's going to fix all your personal problems, and he's going to fix all the company problems. You should listen to him. And then he does that every day, every day for about a week. That's not helpful. And this is exactly what's happening, is that this this girl is following them around, kind of blowing their cover and putting them in a quite awkward position. So, we see Paul gets annoyed. He responds. Secondly, They're attacked by a crowd. Then the local governors order them to be stripped and beaten publicly. They are then put in maximum security prison. And all of this for freeing a girl from spiritual and physical slavery. The reality of this type of persecution of Christians and spiritual oppression, it's not isolated to the pages of Scripture. This is normal occurrences for many Christians around the world, and for many of our people that serve in church planting and that serve cross-culturally as missionaries, they face this type of attack all day, every day. And as we watch Afghanistan fall back into the hands of the Taliban, we know that the church there will face harsh persecution. Women will be oppressed. Children will be taken advantage of. But we know that the hope of the gospel will prevail. It will prevail for those in Christ. Though they face persecution and death, like Paul and his friends, they will proclaim the worthiness of Christ. This is a present reality for many believers all around the world. And so we send missionaries and plant churches because there are people like this slave girl who are being oppressed and influenced by spirits. And in turn, they're vulnerable to human oppressors who want to use them to make money. In addition, the community that's void of Christ wants to pay to get whatever they can out of girls in these types of situations. This is real. This is happening around us. This happens today. 
But as we see in our passage, the power of God through the people of God frees people from spiritual and human oppression. That's what God wants to do. That's how he wants to work. And so here's the question. Would you put your yes on the table, even though it may mean that you will, you will face spiritual warfare? Even though it may mean that you will face physical danger and possible violence? Would you faithfully follow Christ into the fray by loving people who are far from God? Would you follow him into the fray? When we do that, he meets us there. That's the promise. He says, I will be with you in the midst of all of it. Look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So, beaten and battered, Paul and Silas, they sing out to the Lord in praise. They pray aloud as the prisoners listen. Then God steps into the fray with them. He shows up. So the natural and the supernatural, they culminate in this earthquake that opens prison doors and it, it unfastens shackles. And the jailer, he's faced with this dilemma. Do I kill myself or be killed for failing to keep the prisoners? And he chooses the former. But Paul interrupts and he assures him, all the prisoners are accounted for. And the jailer, he's floored by this. He's floored by what he's just experienced. And he asks a loaded question. And Paul responds with a simple answer. He says, what must I do to be saved? To which Paul and Silas respond, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That goes for you and everyone in your house. So, so what we see is that this simple message, it changes everything for the jailer and his family. So between midnight and sunrise, this man is transformed from a man who would take his own life at the thought of failing at his job. And he's transformed into a man who would risk it all by having his prisoners in his home, feeding them and bathing them. Then he believes the message that they're in prison for teaching. He and his whole family are baptized. He goes from being a loyal Roman subject to a citizen of Christ's kingdom in a matter of hours. And I want you to imagine this scene. They're all still shaken from this earthquake. Their hair is probably still wet from baptism. And they share a meal and thank God for giving the gift of faith. Fugitives and jailers become family.
We plant churches and send missionaries because there are families who are desperately, they desperately want to know the answer to the question, what must we do to be saved? And the odds are, the question will not be posed that way. It'll sound more like this. How can I make sure that my life has purpose now and forever? It might sound like, how can I avoid death and live forever with those I love? How can I live the good life while I'm surrounded by so much pain? Or how can I be authentic when I feel like such a fake? All these questions, they circle back to one answer. And the answer is this. Believe in the Lord Jesus. And he will give you a purpose-filled life for now and eternity. Believe in the Lord Jesus. And though you may die on this earth, you will be raised from death. And he will give you life forever with him. Believe in the Lord Jesus. And he will give you joy and use your life in pain to comfort others. Believe in the Lord Jesus. And he will give you a new identity and the ability to be honest about who you are. And ultimately... All of these realities flow out of one fact. Jesus faced suffering and death so that all of his people could be freed from the power and the consequences of rebelling against God. He died so that people could regain their seat at God's table and live in unity with the Father. Jesus was raised from the dead to prove that fact. And he invites us to share that good news with others. That's what he's inviting us into. People desperately want to experience what Christ offers in salvation. And if we'll listen closely, we'll hear those longings and we can offer hope. We have to listen. God wants to use our song-filled suffering, suffering but singing, to reveal the goodness of God to others who are suffering too. He, he wants to use you to offer a simple hope for some complex questions. And so here's the question. Will you put your yes on the table and wait for God to move and then speak when those doors get flung open? In verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men of Roman citizens, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrate, and they were afraid. And they heard that they, when they heard that they were Roman citizens, so they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Y'all, Paul is no joke. Seriously. Like, like, so so Ju- Jesus tells his followers to be innocent as doves and wise as serpents. And I think this is a classic example of that. Paul knows that he and his friends were illegally beaten, imprisoned, illegally, according to Roman law. And he uses that not for his own good, but presumably for the good of his newly believing friends. And so so rather than being run out of town as lawbreakers, 
They receive an apology and are asked to leave rather than being forced. And they oblige, but not before they have an opportunity to visit Lydia and encourage the other believers. So, so Paul, he uses his Roman rights as leverage for the good of the church rather than his own vindication. And Paul presents to us a pattern worth real deep consideration here. He uses his rights for the good of the church and the fame of Christ. So how do we do the same? How do we use those rights that we have for the good of the church? How do we use our rights to speak for the fame of Christ rather than self? And how do we use our religious rights for the advancement of the gospel rather than advancement of our personal agendas? And these are some pretty thick questions that we all have, have had to look at recently. And I think that they, uh, they're, they're worth prayerful consideration. And, and I urge you to spend some time on those. So to summarize all that we've said so far. At North Wake, we raise up teams of faithful followers of Jesus looking for God's leading and direction by the Spirit. We send them out with the goal of sharing the message of hope and gathering those who believe into faithful families. Then we support those families or churches through corporate prayer and personal investment, visitation, encouragement. And we do all of this because there are people like Lydia. There are people like the unnamed slave girl, the unnamed jailer, who all desperately need to experience God's power through his word and his people. But as we close our time together this morning, it's crucial that we consider the greatest of whys in missions and church planning. And here's the why. Here's the greatest why. It's not just about the people. It's not just about God's mission. Ultimately, it's because Christ is worthy of worship of all peoples everywhere. Every person that's ever lived was made to worship Christ, and he is worthy of that. As creator and redeemer, he is worthy of all of our devotion. He's worthy of all of the suffering and loss that we may face. And he's worthy because he faced death for us. He purchased life for us and gives it freely. Revelation 5 puts it this way. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So this is ultimately why we go. This is why we send. Because Christ is worthy of worship. He's worthy of any devotion that we can offer to him. And so would you pray with me that that would be our song corporately, that Christ is worthy, and that reality motivates us to extend the gospel to all people everywhere. Would you pray that with me? Father, we ask that you would give the church power. Power to follow your leading. Power to obey you. Power to hear your voice 
with open hearts to this word, that we would believe it and take it serious, that, Lord, every city of this nation and every city of this world has people who desperately need to hear the gospel. And if we go, you will go with us into the fray. And we do all of that knowing that it's dangerous because you are worthy, Lord. Jesus, you died so that I could stand before you whole, stand before you justified. You died so that I would have a seat at your table, that you would reconcile me. Lord, I pray that I never get over that, and I pray that we as a church never get over that reality, that that doesn't become some news to us, but it would always be good news. And so, Lord, as we respond now through prayer, may it be a prayerful response to your worthiness, and God, may you speak to us even as we sing. We pray it in the name of Christ. Amen.